Welcome to the Irrelevant Podcast. I'm Nathan Jones with my co-host Alex Luce, back for another episode here with Max Wessel. Max, I'm not even going to try to explain all your wonderful, amazing accomplishments that you can scroll through if you look at his wonderful Instagram page. So we're just going to jump right into this thing. Max, welcome to the show. Thank you for giving us some of your time. And why don't you just start out and tell these lovely people who the heck are you, dude? All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, let's see. I think identifies several things. I, um, I came up from a combat sports background. So judo and wrestling were kind of what I spent first 23 years of my life really working on. Um, <clears throat> since then, since graduating college, um, I've been spending a lot of time in the business world and have found myself uh, getting into powerlifting over the last couple of years. Um, probably still at heart a wrestler, and I'll always be a wrestler, especially given my ears can't can't leave those behind. Um, and uh, wrestling holds a very special place in my heart. But um, yeah, so I'm a wrestler, businessman, powerlifter, training junkie. Love love all things training. Love nutrition. Love recovery. Uh, and love lifting weights. You seem uh, very dedicated to whatever process that you are in, in whatever stage of life you are in, because the results that you get in whatever phase you are in seem to be pretty incredible. So kind of like tell people like kind of where you're at right now in life and kind of what you're, what you're doing and, um, or just kind of how you got to this point. Um, You you can, you can take it any direction you want to like, you've got so many different faucets and avenues that you're a part of, man. Like you can, you could kind of talk about anything probably for any length of time, I'm sure. Yeah, I, um, I'm not so good at talking about myself, so it's always a little, little challenging. But uh, right now, I'm really focused on two things. One is, um, so I started a company when I was in college. The company's kind of morphed and changed over time. I'm now chairman of the board of the company. It's called Game Plan. That's a company that's really focused on selling a software to college athletics, professional teams, professional leagues, youth, some elite youth athletics. Um, so on the business front, I'm really focused on making that a successful company right now. And then um, the kind of more personal side of things, I'm focused on becoming as good of a power lifter as I can become. So, so those are the, what the two things I'm focusing on. Yeah. What weight are you currently trying to compete at right now? So this time I'm competing at 242. I compete and tested. Uh, last time I competed at 275, but I really I weighed in at like 260. So 242 is not not too hard. Just staying a little leaner throughout prep, uh, not eating silly amount of food. <laughs> and my body, I I stay around to. I wake up this morning. I was 245.8. Like that's kind of where my my body set point has been since since I was wrestling in college. So it's not, it's not too hard for me. So where, did, where did you say you wrestled in college? Kind of talk about that experience for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wrestled at Lehigh university, which is a small school in Eastern Pennsylvania, but big time wrestling. I knew I wanted to go to Lehigh when I went on my recruiting trip and the wrestling matches have more attendance than the football games. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is my kind of place. Um, so and I think the Lehigh Valley is one of the few few places in the U.S. where wrestling has more participation than basketball, the winter sports. You know, it's, we, wrestling is 
big time in the Lehigh Valley. So I was recruited to wrestle from Colorado, wrestled at Lehigh. I went from, and this is part of where my love for nutrition and training really started was I, I went from 197, cutting a lot of weight, my redshirt freshman year and freshman year up to heavyweight. And in order to make 197, at that point in time, I was walking around at probably 220, 225. Um, So making 197 was required a lot of discipline. I really had to learn how to cut weight the right way, not just be an idiot wrestler and throw on a plastic sweatsuit. You know, that's technically not allowed. But throw on a (laughs) – Technically. Yeah. Sweat it out and, you know, not eat for four days going into – like I I was cutting too much weight for that strategy to be successful. So I had to learn – a lot about nutrition, worked with nutritionists, uh, learned how to do water cutting the right way. And um, ultimately, though, I just outgrew the 197-pound weight class. And I liked, I liked lifting weights, always had. So I decided, you know, in college wrestling, it goes 197 and then 285. There's, There's no, no in, between. in between. Yeah, it's crazy. No in between. It's crazy. So I said, let's take all the discipline, what I've learned uh, from making 197, apply it to – gaining as much weight as possible, but good weight. I didn't want to become one of the fat heavyweights. Plus, if you look at heavyweight wrestling, um, especially the Division One level, but really all levels, the successful heavyweights have gone from being the kind of fatter, like offensive lineman type build to the 240 to 260 uh, linebacker build. You look at the kind of the, the really successful wrestlers at heavyweight, that's, that's the direction it's gone. So I want to put on really good weight. And uh, used a lot of what I'd learned, worked with some excellent coaches along the way, put on really good weight. And I went from about, you know, set point of 220 to a set point of right around 250 um, throughout my college career. My favorite story, though, is because I suck weight. When I made the decision to change, I I weighed in at 197 on a Sunday for a tournament. Told my coaches I'm going up to heavyweight. I said, cool. Let's wrestle you against Oklahoma, a heavyweight on a Thursday. I weighed in at 228 that Thursday. Oh. So I put, on, put on 31 pounds in four days. How? Do you, how? Like, <laughs> how? Well, you're pulling like the last 10 pounds are really water weight. Yeah, so you have, right. you kind of, that's kind of a cheat. And I ate everything in the whole world and drank everything in the whole world. It was like chugging water <laughs> before wow. I got on the scale. And, um, I... I was eating whole boxes of cereal and whole boxes of spaghetti because I've been cutting weight for so long. I was like, give me all the food I can get and I have an excuse to get heavy now. Um, but yeah, and, and then throughout, that was my uh, actually my freshman year of eligibility. Slowly gained weight through that year, but it was only like 230 something most of that year. Then my sophomore year, I was in the 240s. I actually remember the first time I saw 250 on the scale, but it was definitely a softer 250. Uh, my junior year, unfortunately, I, I missed the entire year due to injury. Uh, I had two different orthopedic operations, one on my ankle, one on my knee. But I was able to kind of take that year to really uh, rehab my, my lower body and put on good weight. And my senior year, I came back as like a solid 250. It was very competitive at the heavyweight weight class and ended up having a, a really good senior year. It was my first fully healthy, fully at the same weight year I had in college wrestling and I was able to be an all become an All-American my senior year, which is kind of the, probably the crowning moment of my wrestling career and um, allowed me to end 
end my relationship with wrestling on a really positive note. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of the journey I had through, through college wrestling. That's impressive. Highly impressive. I, oh, I love I, how humble you are. Yeah. By the yeah. Way. By the way, top 10 wrestler in the whole entire country. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I did pretty good. Ho-hum. Ho-hum. I'm just a, yeah, I'm an all American. Ho-hum. There, there is a thing with, with college wrestling, like you're, it's difficult because you're, you, there's like an unspoken rule. You're really not supposed to tell people right. you're an all American. Sure. Um, it's if, if you're an all American, then I guess that was good enough for you and you shouldn't go, uh, bragging about it. It's kind of the, I appreciate the modesty that you guys carry for sure, but yeah, I'll I'll brag for you. Max is fucking crazy. Like, (laughs) I want to know, Max, what? How did the judo help you with the wrestling? Because you were so good at judo that you almost made it to the Olympic team, right? Yeah. So I grew up. Judo is my first sport. I did judo. I started judo when I was four years old. My dad was an Olympic coach for for the U.S. judo team in Sydney and Athens. Um, So I've been doing judo since I was four years old. I was super competitive in judo. I was in kind of on the junior level, top one or two guys in the country. Um, but judo isn't as competitive in the U.S. as wrestling. And when I got to high school, I, I actually went out for wrestling my freshman year of high school to help my judo. It was like, hey, I'll get good at wrestling because wrestling teaches you math skills, especially how to be good at the ground game. I'll do that to get better at judo. I was JV my freshman year of high school in wrestling not very good and then after my freshman year the high school wrestling coach sat me down and said hey max like you have some legitimate talent if you stick with this wrestling thing you'll you'll be really good and i was like yeah whatever i almost quit i uh started to get really serious about judo and having success and almost didn't come back out for my sophomore year of wrestling but the coach kind of had that conversation with me and i decided all right i'll give it one more shot and then i started to have success at the varsity level and I realized, wait, this wrestling thing's probably, it's way cooler than judo because one, you get notoriety, like people at your high school care <laughs> that you're good at wrestling. No one cares if you're good at judo and you can get into a good school and wrestle in college. So that was the, the inflection point where I decided to at least spend as much time on wrestling as judo, sophomore year of high school. Uh, junior year of high school, probably more wrestling. I started to really enjoy wrestling. It was also kind of fresh and new. I, I didn't start wrestling until freshman year of high school. It's always judo. That's fucking crazy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. And um, then started to get really, and ended up being very competitive junior year. I got, I hurt my knee at the state tournament, but I was probably the second best kid in the state. I ended up getting six because I'd forfeit out. And my senior year, I was undefeated state champion, didn't really have a competitive match in high school. I was like, I figured this game out. This is awesome. Until uh-huh. I got to division one wrestling, I was like, wait, maybe I got, a, I got a long way to go. Uh, but. Um, That's still incredible. In eight yeah. years span, you went from not knowing how to wrestle to winning an undefeated season at the high school level and being a champion and being then top 10 at the next level. That's fucking nuts. Yeah, it was a quick progression. I will say judo and wrestling are similar. So it's not, I didn't come in with no, uh, no bearing on how to wrestle. And there are stories of guys that start freshman year and end up having success in college, but I did have mat time since I was four sure. years old. Right. And actually there's, um, have you guys ever heard of Kerry Collat? He's kind of one of the more famous, he's a wrestling legend. He's the coach at, uh, Navy now. He was a, a world champion for the U S but he has a, a quote that you can only have 
really high level success at wrestling for a 10 year period, but it's such an intense sport. Mm-hmm. So if you're like one of the crazy parents that puts your kids into in super intense wrestling at four years old, they're probably gonna be burnt out by the time they're 14. I can't wait to I talk to this guy. I, I can't wait to talk yeah. to this guy. Oh my goodness. Okay. If yeah. you're one of my athletes that wrestles around here, pay attention. Here we go. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I kind of had, um, had the, the blessing of starting at 14, which means I wasn't burnt out by the time right. I was uh, approaching the end of my college career. I was close. I think I can attest. To there's about, there's, there's a 10 year, 10 year period where you can be truly elite and kind of give it your all. There are freaks that are outside of that. You have the, the Jordan Burroughs of the world that are successful from the time, right. you know, from high school, all the, he's won uh, more world titles and Olympic titles than anyone else now. Um, but for the most part, it's kind of that with these really intense sports. And I think wrestling's probably near the top of that list. It's like kind of the 10 year period. Did you have a good base of other sports that you were playing before that time period too? Like, so do you did judo? Did you do anything else that kind of, piqued your interest at other different times of the year, different seasons? Did they keep you pretty active in a lot of other sports as well? Yeah, my parents put me in. I mean, I did all the usual stuff as a kid, played soccer. Um, I never played football, which I think I'm like secretly holding grudge against my parents for. It's like, oh, we don't want you getting hurt. But then they put me in wrestling. (laughs) Just just as brutal and just, yeah. I mean, least wrestling is not a team sport, though. So, you you know, you got to earn that success and you got to earn those losses. Yeah. Because the team sports, you can just get host and suck. Yeah, that's that is true. I think, um, yeah, wrestling, uh, I'm glad it went the way it did. But um, it would have been fun to play football. So I'm a bigger guy. I'm pretty fast, pretty explosive. I think I would have had success at and football probably but, not Max. Um, you're definitely not that type of athlete how tall are you max how, how, <laughs> just for reference out there people listening i'm six three okay so six three two fifty yep. i don't want that middle linebacker coming at me i'm sorry i'm good i'm good guys yeah i ran uh, i did a 40 time for fun after my senior year of college wrestling with the football team and this was on turf and i ran like a four seven one i'd never mm. trained for sprinting so I think right. I would have, I would have been good at something on defense. I'm not the most athletic. Like, you know, don't put me a tight end or anything like that. But let me try and crush a quarterback. I think I would have been. Yeah, right that. I think you'd have yeah, done okay. You, you would have lit some people up for sure. Wow. Do you, um, is the is, are you still pretty connected with the wrestling scene, or do you kind of keep up with the wrestling scene? And um, if so, do you see some of the like you talked about the crazy parent situation that happens in youth sports? I think that's like all youth sports or a lot of youth sports. Um, how is it just parents want to get them, their kids in the right avenues and have the right idea, but then just kind of do it in the wrong way? Or what do you see is kind of wrong with the youth wrestling situation in its current state? That's, that's exactly it. I think there's a way where you can wrestle from the time you're four through college, but it's, it's having the right approach. And I do think it's born out of um, a lot of parents not having just the knowledge themselves on, on what is the right way to do it. You have to have it be more focused around having fun, no pressure on performing at a competitive level, just building the skills and having fun doing so until it's time to start focusing on having competitive success. But even at when you start having focusing on having competitive success, you have to have the right mindset and making sure you're not placing uh, pressure in an incorrect way on your kid or as an athlete on yourself. And I think there's some really valuable skills and ways to do that. 
And it's probably something that a lot of parents don't, don't really understand, especially if they didn't come from an athletic background themselves or they were, they did come from an athletic background, but learn kind of the incorrect way yeah. to do it. I see that happen a lot. Like kids will choose to go to these big tournaments or what, you know, whatever's big in their mind or whatever their, their national, this or state that in the summer, like in the summertime, like they're not even in a competitive season for their high school and they'll choose that to like really focus on, you know, a really good three month period where they could be doing something else or training or getting themselves away from the mat completely. Um, and that you do see kids put a lot of pressure on themselves. They're like, man, I could be ranked this or I could be ranked that. And I'm like, well, through what system or through what organization? Like you could be ranked in this one and not ranked in this one. It's like you have to be careful about where you spend your money. I feel like in all these youth organizations and these kids already do like sixth, seventh grade, fifth grade, fourth grade. Like they're already putting so much pressure on themselves because they're nationally ranked or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah. then, then they get into high school and they don't even compete very well. So I don't, it's, it's, it's hard to relay that message to parents of like, we don't really care about winning at this age. Like, yeah, you want them to be competitive, but like, are they having fun? Cause it's not going to last if they don't have fun at this point. So that's exactly it. You need to have fun. Uh, you always need to have fun, but especially it's really important to approach it from, from that standpoint with, with youth athletics. And look, the reality is no one's going to remember how you did at fourth grade nationals. And no one really even cares how you did in high school, where you state champion. Or not. Yeah, it's a cool accomplishment, but the things that really matter, whether it's wrestling, you know, kind of the pinnacle of wrestling, unless you go Olympics, is how did you do in college? If you're trying to make the NFL, it doesn't matter how you were in high school. It's how did you perform in college? Right. Um, so you should try and kind of save that competitive juice, that super intense focus for the, the years where it counts. Yeah. But you still need to, at that point, you still need to approach it with the right mindset and not place too much pressure on yourself. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I see like parents are very competitive about is the whole cutting situation where they want their kids to cut, to be a certain weight at a young age, to compete in a certain bracket, to compete for this belt or this trophy or this, whatever it is. And I'm not real familiar with the wrestling world, but, um, I do have a lot of kids that are coming to me for wrestling now and it's like, well, okay, but I don't really care about what belt they're winning in seventh grade. I just care about getting them stronger, more explosive, more resilient, you know? And so how do, how do you go about, do you, I mean, do you have any good tips about having good conversations about, Hey, let's just try to add weight and wrestle and compete at whatever weight we just kind of naturally grow at instead of like, Hey, I'm an eighth grader and I'm going to cut down to one ten to try to compete, yeah. you know, as I just don't know if that's a good way to go about things. And I just don't know what your opinion is on that or how to approach those conversations. No, I think it's, um, I would encourage the parents to look at the trends on the highest level, which cutting weight on the college level is becoming less and less prevalent because the elite programs have realized that you perform better when you just focus on being healthy and wrestle at the weight you wrestle at. I mean, you, maybe you're cutting a little bit of water weight, at the end of the week or, and you're not, shouldn't be walking around fat either. No, you can cut like 10% maybe if you need to. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Or like come into season in shape and then you don't have to cut weight. Yeah. Um, just be close to your weight. But at the youth level, I think it, it would, it's absolutely ludicrous to be considering cutting weight at all. If it's like two pounds to make, you know, they're going to, they're like right at the bottom of, sure. of a weight class. And yeah, that's one thing, but it shouldn't be, a focus at all. Um, 
for I, for use. I would just hate to see like good nutritional value being sacrificed for people trying to just count calories and cut their kids weight instead of like, Hey, we could just see what our body grows and does naturally and support that with nutritional balance and see what we grow too. And then let's just try to compete there. You know, Uh, youth wrestling in this state anyways, has no idea about nutrition. Yeah. I watch my nephews, all his competition at his tournaments and those kids are eating the biggest piles of shit ever. Oh yeah. Like he's eating 1700 calories a day and 110 grams of protein to make sure that he can be fit and do it. And I know there's not other kids doing that. Yeah. No, no. I I just want to see him eat and grow. Like that's such a vital age, you know, that 12 to 15 age bracket where they're growing so exponentially and their body's changing so exponentially. It's like, why do we want to cut at this age? That's, this could be really detrimental to things down the road. Um, So I, it's just, Wrestling's a weird space. I feel like sometimes it can be get a negative impact, or it can have like a negative impact sometimes, or it can just have a highly positive impact. So that's right. I think youth sports in general. Um, I think overall, the participation of kids in sports is in- incredibly beneficial for society as a whole. You know, it teaches a lot of uh, <clears throat> value, self value, how to work hard, how to achieve things. But on the flip side, if it goes too far. It can, I think it can actually become detrimental to, to mental health. You can It can go too far in the wrong direction. So it's having kids participate in sport, but doing it the right way. Absolutely. So you, you finished your career as a wrestler, um, and then you're kind of facing probably graduation and things like that. Where does the next stage of your life kind of play out, and how do things look after your post-wrestling career? Yeah, Um this is more just a funny story, but I very nearly signed with the WWE right out of college. Yeah, Alex Thank told you me for bringing that up because Alex told me that we're gonna have we got I got a bone to pick with you now. Come on now, come on now. It was oh, I didn't do it. I know. Yeah, I come know. on you now. You didn't do it. <sighs> you could have been the next Kurt Angle. You, you could have been the next Brock Lesnar. Ugh. It was. Uh, been the next Brock. Can, so. One night, it was right before, right after nationals. I got a phone call, and it was a recruiter for the WWE, and they said, "Come down to our tryouts in Orlando, Florida." I think at that point they're inviting twenty guys and ten girls, something like that. Uh, so I went down there right after graduation, and went through the tryouts, and they gave three contract offers, and I was one of those three contract offers. Um, now I'm really pissed. Went- <laughs> I went through an extensive negotiation process with the WWE. I don't think the WWE is used to having people they offer the contracts to read the contracts. And uh, contract was highly confusing. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. and at this point, I had already started. This was at, at that point, it was called NX Athlete, but, which is now Game Plan Today. I'd already started that. I had some wheels turning there. It wasn't like I had to go forward with the WWE and ultimately I just couldn't get comfortable with um, the way the contract was worded, kind of how they were treating the negotiations. So I just decided um, I'm not going to go down that route. I feel like that's something you got to like really be in for. If not, it's probably not going to work out. Who would have thought Vince McMahon would have put some back, back alley uh, negotiations in those contracts, you know, no way, not Vince, (laughs) not Vince McMahon. Never. He's clean as a whistle guy. He's a My clean favorite clause was on sponsorships. Like if I got a sponsor, let's say I got a supplement sponsorship, the, the way it read was they were entitled to no less than 10%. 
of my sponsorship earnings. I was like, wait, was this supposed to say no more than? Like, wow. Can you take a hundred? They're like, well, we wouldn't do that. But what the sure contract says is what, yeah. Yeah. So sure you wouldn't. Wow. That was, that's my favorite example of, of one of the it's incredible the funny things in the contract. I mean, Probably. it still would have been a really cool opportunity. And uh, I'm sure I would have had fun doing it. But you also travel like three All the days time. a year. Yeah. It's a rough lifestyle. Where, is there any names that, that were offered the other two contracts that are there now that you wrestled against or kind of went through that training with? Yeah, I'm sorry. So I'm the, a huge WWE gal, guy. <laughs> uh, do you know? I actually don't know what her WWE name is. Her real name is Victoria Gonzalez. I know she's in the WWE now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't keep up with the women's side. Yeah, shame on me the, as much. The other cool one, you probably will know this name on the women's side. She was not, she just had been signed, but she was one of the like camp, like tryout counselors was Alexa Bliss. Oh, yeah. She's so a champ. She was like, yeah. So she was like just in the NXT, one of the like tryout wow. counselors when I was going through. Unbelievable. And then there was all the like, there was like, you know, Triple H was there watching the tryouts and, um, it was fun. The wrestlers, really, the whole tryout is structured around how well you can remember and follow directions because you have to base, you have to be, remember these huge choreographed matches, right? So they would be like, once at the beginning of the tryouts, they told everyone they sat us down. They're like, here are the rules, and they only said it once, and it was like, wow. wipe your feet before you get in the ring, right foot first and left foot. You go between the second and the third row. You cross to this position and they would watch who did, who followed their instructions the entire time. Mm. And like, those are the people that did well for the people who like paid attention to detail, stayed focused on what they told them. Cause a lot of people like, ah, whatever, I'm just going to go show what I got. Yeah. You know, there was former NFL people, uh, former NBA bodybuilders, powerlifters, you know, all kinds of athletic specimens at the tryout, but the people that really were able to just follow and remember directions were the ones who succeeded. Yeah. Cause they're, they're all athletes at that point. It's just a matter of like, can you put the show on that they want you to put on essentially? Yeah. And that's crazy. Gosh, good for you though. At least you had that opportunity. Cool experience. Yeah. That's yeah, a really cool really opportunity. Cool. Yeah. So, okay. Th- so we don't go to be WWE superstar, unfortunately to my remorse, but you said you had this company that was already kind of up and running and starting and kind of what what does that look like? What do you do with that company now? And how does that um, present itself to all these schools that you use it with currently? Yeah. So it started out as uh, really simple. It started out as help college athletes get jobs and help employers hire college athletes. Um, we wanted to do that by building a two-sided marketplace of athletes and employers. Quickly figured out that's really hard to do, especially with college athletes. They're not <laughs> the most uh, attentive until they're done with their senior season, especially about careers. Right. So it slowly morphed into a software as a service platform. We were selling to college athletic departments to create a closed loop marketplace for just their athletes, just local alumni, donors, employers. They wanted to have um, access their athletes for employment. Um, Started to get some traction with that in late, uh, really it was late 2020. And then we approached Game Plan, who was our largest competitor on the career side of things, but they also had um, kind of like a compliance learning solution that made them a lot stickier with uh, athletic departments because the career side of things is just a nice to have. And unfortunately, college athletics spends where uh, there's need to have more than they spend when there's nice to have. 
So we acquired a controlling interest in game plan, merged the two softwares together, had a much stickier learning solution, and then actually acquired a third business called Athlete Viewpoint that did end of year survey and analytics for athletic departments. So how you know, rate your coaches, how does your athletic department support you? So we have the three verticals of the software as it stands today, which is learning, just kind of compliance driven, largely compliance driven, but also life skills driven, career, and then analytics. And today we're in over 300 college athletic departments. We work with the NFL, NBA, um, MLB, and NHL, different capacities, uh, and a handful of elite youth sports organizations as well. So is this just to help to get kids in front of the right people after they graduate, or is it to try, to try to help them get to the right avenues that they need to explore? More along the, the latter now. So college athletics uses us primarily for um, compliance-driven education. So every college athlete has to go through sports wagering education and sexual violence prevention training. We help educate that, but then we also offer a host of financial literacy courses, a host of sales management training courses, ways to kind of improve uh everything we'll call it everything off the field for a college athlete uh for the professional leagues it's all compliance so the nfl does their rookie readiness training game rules education you get a helmet to helmet contact you go into game plan take a course on why that's bad sign a docusign you reduce your fine um nhl we do rookie readiness stuff uh and then mlb is um like sports wagering education, but for mostly staff and employees, not even the athletes. So it's kind of different use cases. But then the career part of the platform in college athletics is, yeah, it's, it's, there's an actual hiring component, but that's not the biggest part of the business today. It's more on the learning side gotcha. of things. Gotcha. So at least give them the tools they need. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Alex, what you got? Exactly. Jump in here. With uh, NIL deals, how has that changed the education portion? Because like Ooh. I was at CU's practice today, and one thing that I thought that Dion did that was brilliant is he put all the kids' Instagrams on the back of their jerseys. So oh, like cool. everything they video. Oh, damn. Those kids now have a way to promote themselves. That's so good. Right? And I guess yeah. everyone was mad about it at first, but I saw that and I went, that's absolutely brilliant. Like you're giving these kids exposure and giving them their own platform to – know maybe create a brand or a business or something yeah well nil has put a lot of pressure on the ncaa to expand the education requirements which actually next starting next year that is so it goes from those two buckets required education which is sexual violence prevention sports wagering to seven buckets i always screw this up but it includes things like financial literacy um you know how to uh manage uh like taxes things that are now an issue because of NIL are going to be required forms of education. So we're expanding on the education front to kind of meet the needs of NIL for college athletes. has to be a huge market just because of the amount of money that's now swimming around in all this NIL stuff that kids are going to get their hands on and then just absolutely have no clue where to go with it. Yeah. There's our, yeah, it's, um, it is the wild west right now. Uh, it's like, I think NIL is, in spirit, a very positive thing. Kids should be able to use their brain right, right. to make money. That's not the way it's working right now. Yeah, It's uh, donors forming collectives and shell corps to just pay kids to play. Yeah, And they're getting paid far more than their probably you know brand 
is worth. You know, my wife used to work at a, a supplement company and she ran the social media advertising branch. And I would see what, uh, so, like the, you know, some of the contracts look like for people with millions of followers and they are fractions. <laughs> what these kids are getting paid. Crazy. To. I know wrestlers are getting paid half a million dollars a semester. Wow. Wrestlers. Right. I, Armani so, McLean, that cornerback that they got from Miami, they Miami was going to pay him 12 million. Yeah. It's, I was, I was talking incredible. to a, yeah, I was talking to a former, a guy who plays golf with a former late major league player. Who's a donor at the university of Arkansas. And they were talking about the SEC, for example, and SEC baseball. And LSU is finding a way to give away. This is just what he said. I'm not going to name any names or say anything like that. But he said that each player that they sign to an actual scholarship also gets $250,000 in their pocket, guaranteed to come play well, baseball at LSU. They were doing that anyways. Yeah. But now it's just Johnny more Mandel public. Documentary? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Come on. That guy was awesome. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I don't even practice. I don't do shit. I'm just going to sign a bunch of autographs and get 30000 a pop and do whatever I want. Yeah, like it, yeah, it probably was happening more than uh, more than you. It, it's oh, just yeah. happening above the table now. Yeah, I think it is happening more. I would love to see it where. I think one thing has you can't have the the no uh, penalty for transfer rule. You know the way the transfer rules are today. There's just you can transfer willy nilly. You can transfer five times if you want. Right. Yeah, that, that's um, got to be reined so, in. I think. That combined yeah. with NAL creates this really weird, like free agency market. That's that's the problem. Athletics. Yep, that's a hundred percent the problem. Is now it's just like I think I can't remember. I listened to someone. I think maybe Pat McAfee talked about it. It's like, what sport do you have free agents every year that are unrestricted and can go sign with whatever team they want to sign with? That's not the well, that's, that's that's how TCU got to that bowl game, right? But that's what I'm. That's where that's where we're at. And like, here we go. Yeah, yeah, that's where we're at in the college landscape. It's just it's a free agent market now. It's not actually you know there's no there's no amateurism in what's going on anymore. And the exact and what the the big problem with it is it's just going to end up being like in wrestling, the Big Ten, and football, the SEC. That's where everyone's going to end up because those have the biggest wallets. Well, yeah, they're going to have to create their own leagues. Like the NCAA is not going to be a thing in 10 years, probably. Yeah, I don't think they, they have any way to have control anymore. They should be worried. For sure should be worried about that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Yep. Well, like football, you have four conferences now. Yeah. Yeah. You got the Big 12, you got the Big 10, and which is really, you have the big like yeah, 18, Big 12 is not even. The big fucking 16. Yeah. And then you have the ACC and SEC. The Big 12 is a shamble of what it used to be. Also, it's not even. And so is the Pac-12 or whatever. Pac-12. Well, they got all the leftovers. Pac-12 has gone. There is no more Pac-12. Oh, yeah. It's getting crushed. Yep. Oh, my Lord. What is going on? But, yeah, that's the the work world. But let's get into some fun. Let's get into some fun training talk. You want to talk about the powerlifting, don't you? Yeah. Let's talk about eating. Let's talk about the head stuff. This is what I really like. Yeah. So how did you start in powerlifting? Because that's, I mean, most people don't even know what powerlifting is. And like, I had some people come even watch my meet and they're like, why the fuck would you do that? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, I guess I, so I always really liked lifting from wrestling. I was always pretty strong, you know, like a college weight room. I benched 500 in college, like bro bench. Whoa like college college weight room no. bench not not competition Max, i just tried to unrack different. 360 the other day and it was a struggle so kudos <laughs> oh, to you sir yeah oh. but so i i always had a passion for it i knew i was i was strong 
And then it was actually lifting at gym five. Russ got in my ear and was like, yeah, hey, you, you should try competing. You should try competing. And I, I had um, still had a bit of a competitive itch wrestling. And I was like, all right, I'll try powerlifting. Little did I know I would end up down a rabbit hole of powerlifting, which is <clears throat> kind of takes its own skill set and, and understanding of training to be at a high level. You can't just go try and lift as heavy of weight as possible. What? <laughs> it takes you a mean lot it's, more it's, it's not that, that easy? Come on. No. I mean, it's actually, that's all John Hack does? Yeah. <laughs> sure. I, uh, <laughs> he, um, yeah, no, he's, he's incredible. But you, what I did really enjoy about it when I got in it is wrestling is so dynamic and it is an individual sport, but it is you versus another human. The inputs are not always super clear with the outcomes. You can do everything right, and the other guy's just better than you. Powerlifting is you versus the weight. It's so simple. <laughs> like you're moving away from here to here. Um, that the inputs become very clear on the outcomes. So if you're eating right, you're sleeping right, you're doing the right kind of training, the your your strength will increase. And so I got, I really enjoy that aspect to it. And I, I just, I'm a meathead, love training and lifting weights. So I got kind of addicted to that process. Um, and I've gotten really into, into powerlifting over the last, call it 18 months. I did my first competition last May. And so I think you have the best powerlifting coach in the world and you've had him since the very beginning, right? That's right. Actually. Well, very first powerlifting coach was while I was training at gym five was Cooper, who you guys have had on, Cooper Napoli. But I hit a point where Cooper was like, hey, you got to go work with this guy, Adam Miller. Cooper, you know, he knows a lot about powerlifting, but that's really not his company. Like, that's not his specialty. So he's like, you you should go work with Adam Miller. So, yeah, I've been working. He he did my uh, first prep. Yeah, I agree. He's he's one of the best uh, powerlifting coaches in the world, but probably just uh, strength and conditioning coaches in the world. He's incredible. Um, he's a master of his craft, and I've learned, got to learn a lot from him. And he, he understands how I like to train, but I also think how I like to train is how he likes to train, so we just work well together. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's a, isn't there a little bit of that in all of us where we just want to fucking just throw heavy shit around? For right? sure. That's, uh, yep. that is it. And I, I mean, it's part of, I think it's the wrestler mentality. I think it's one of the reasons I've been able to get big naturally and be stronger. I'd like, I'd love to go all out. So I've actually had to learn because for powerlifting, that's not always the best thing. I've had to learn how to be like smart with my training. Um, not just go in and try and kill myself. And I should have had you come to the Ed Cohen seminar last weekend. That's one guy, if you got to talk to him, like, it's fucking amazing how smart he is and how simple he makes everything seem. You're like, fuck you, Ed. Like, just knock it off. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? But yeah, I think you'd get a lot from him. Yeah, he's, he seems incredible. I love what I do watch a lot of his content. Even, the, yeah, the way he talks about, like, bracing or engaging your lats for the squat. And that is so, why didn't I think of that? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, well, and you think about it, like, he really is that master of the craft. Miller is the same way, right? Like, they can take the most obscure and complex things and be like, well, just do this. And you're like, yes. wait, what? 
And he's like, and Miller will explain it to you if you ask him, but he's also really good about just cueing you into the right thing <laughs> and making sure you understand what it is that you should be doing. Right. So that's that your exactly body right. does the right thing. Well, and we're all built so differently. I think that's one of the things that Miller's so good at is he doesn't like, there's no set cues. He's not like, Hey, everyone on spot should do X. It's totally dependent on your biomechanics and how like I squat versus how someone else squats or how I deadlift versus someone else, which no one should deadlift like I do because I <laughs> suck at deadlift. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your best. Is that what you're saying? No, not at all. I have so, a super long torso and relatively ooh, short arms. Oh, it's a long pull. It's a long yeah. pull. But yeah, he a has a beautiful squat around. and that fucking bench press, as you know, that's almost world-class already, isn't it? Yeah, the bench is, um, I think, well, today I had bench. I hit 480, probably. It wasn't It wasn't max. I think my bench will end up between, at the competition, 485 to 500. That will, like, maybe um, be my squat. Yeah, on a, <laughs> on a really great day, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, it'll be, that would be cool. That's the goal is to lock in a 500-pound bench at 242 in competition because I think, there's only been contested like all feds. It's only it's like less than fifty people have oh, done wow. that. That's impressive. It's not in a full meet, not a bench only meet in a full hour. Right. part of so, the full total. Yeah, that would be really cool if I do. Now I don't know if it's in the cards for this meet, but it te- if I do tested five hundred with an eighteen hundred pound total two forty two, that's only like twenty three people. All feds international so that would that would that would be really cool i think i'll be in that ballpark but uh we got to work on my deadlift a little bit do you have an end-all be-all goal because like alex said he's like yeah i'm gonna try to total 2000 like what's your end-all be-all or are you just chasing the next you know the next step in each each ladder of the rung yeah i think that 1800 pound 500 pounds is kind of like a ballpark i don't love to have a exact pound target like, I don't want to be like, I need to squat this and bench this and deadlift this because right. for multiple reasons. One, it's that pressure you're talking about. I think it kind of sets you up for a weird dynamic uh, when it comes to meat day. For multiple reasons. One, you have a lot of pressure. And two is if you, if there's more there, then you should also take it. You, know, you Don't get too set on a specific right. number. Just go move the weight that you can move that day. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to get there, Max, but I'm going to fucking get that 2000. Whether it's in my dreams or reality, I don't know, but we're going to make that happen. If you hit it in the dream, you know, just let us know. We'll be. You we'll, want to hear the craziest thing that Ed said the other day? He's like, Yeah, I don't have any trophies or anything. I gave them to all my family members and all that. He's all, I didn't even really care about winning. I just wanted to go and lift weights and have fun. See, like, that's probably why I was successful. Uh, yep. He became the best powerlifter in the world because he loved training, not because he loved powerlifting. Yeah. Was like, well, that's some. Um, when I started to really have success my senior year, it was because I shifted my mindset from being <clears throat> focused on the outcomes to being focused on the process. Yes. So, and I just kept telling, if you just focus on the process, the outcomes will happen. Just right. Don't even worry about them. They'll happen. Just be process focused. So that means eating every meal to the best of your ability, sleeping to the best of your ability, um, making life choices that are going to progress you towards your goals, not slow you down you know so if you can become really process focused and it's really being in the present then then the outcomes happen the big outcomes will happen 
but very few it's it's hard i heck i have to constantly remind myself i consider myself pretty good at it but it's a lot of people can't um really struggle being focused on the process rather than the outcomes and and want the outcomes to just happen without going through the process yeah yeah i still love that mike tyson quote where he says discipline is doing the things you hate like you love them yeah thumbs up the process like process sucks it's not fun well i think louis said it too didn't he He was like you gotta love you gotta love the things you hate or something like that you know like it's not fun but you gotta you gotta end up falling in love with it if you do want those outcomes that's for sure yep so when's the next focusing on it yeah how much have you seen those numbers move since you started powerlifting then since you're still early on in the career it's a good amount so my first competition last may i did in wraps not in sleeves which I don't know why exactly because wraps are awful. <laughs> They're fun because you can squat a lot, but I don't know the putting on and taking off, especially for a competition, is like super stressful. Yeah. Getting the timing right, you're you're trying to like if you put them on too early, your feet are asleep by the time you go to the platform. If you put you put them on too late, you miss your attempt. But that one, I squatted six thirty three, I benched four seventy six, and I deadlift six eleven. That first meet. And I don't know if you um, mentioned this, but we have a bunch of multiply listeners, I'm sure. But you're doing all this raw. This was raw with wraps. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And um, this time I'm doing sleeves and the squat should be similar. So we'll say squats progressed. I'd say the wraps for me, because I'm quad dominant, they'd probably give me about 10%. I think I'd be squatting close to 700 in wraps right now. <laughs> um, so probably like my squats progressed pretty well my bench as you know if we can get from 476 to 500 um that'll be good you know i'm benching and training right now more than i benched at my last competition so that's progressed pretty well and then my deadlift probably progressed the least um but i did make a transition from conventional to sumo so maybe that'll pay off a little bit more down the road but we still have some time time some time to tell but i think it'll be in that uh, kind of similar 611 to, I would call it, 650 range. See where it ends up. That'll be impressive if you pull the same sumo, because my fucking sumo is trash compared to my <laughs> Like, absolute yeah, fucking trash. That's the way it felt at first, but it is the right decision. You know, Miller and I have discussed this in depth because of my leverages. I just had to learn how to do it. And this is all, I never deadlifted before I started powerlifting. Because you know, oh, it's really? not the most efficient oh, well. <laughs> movement for hypertrophy. It's not <laughs> good for wrestlers, particularly. <laughs> you have so much pressure on your lower lumbar and so much fatigue in your lum- lower lumbar from wrestling. Our, my whole wrestling career, I never deadlifted. So I basically had to learn how to deadlift from square one starting uh, a couple of years ago. You can ask Cooper about when he first saw me deadlift. He's like, whoa. <laughs> That's terrible. I remember those days. <laughs> yeah, like, I was well, like a lot of hours was, at the gym of like, how do we get Max to do this better? Yeah, how can? <laughs> why does he suck so much at deadlift? <laughs> well, it was bed. like you would try the best you could, and then still it would like be some weird fucking hitch. You're like, yeah, that hurts my back. Like, yeah, well, like, we, we got to fix this. Bend me in a weird way. Yeah, I was like benching more than I deadlift when I started deadlifting, which is not typical. 
No, it's not, it's not made, ideal. But... Progress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not ideal. <laughs> Looks like it's going the right direction now, though. <laughs> but you didn't feel like there was a big difference as far as strength when you switched to that sumo stance compared to your. Initially, yes. But now um, I'm starting to starting to get used to the sumo. I feel better in the sumo than the conventional now. Let's put it that way. Really? Just just a lot of skill work that just got got you back to that point where you feel like you could pull again. Yeah. A lot of skill work, a lot of. Um, yeah, just doing doing reps. I mean, powerlifting is a sport at the end of the day. It's right. a sport that closely resembles strength training, but each three of the movements are its own you know, technical sport. So it's like in wrestling, you got to get your reps in and you got to do a double leg 10,000 times. So you're really good at double leg. It's really just the same thing with powerlifting. So me and Nathan have been messing with sumo stuff and we discovered, well, Nathan discovered this video of this guy talking about Tucking your pelvis at the bottom of the lift. Does Miller have you do that in the sumo? Where so you like I do tuck it and then press? naturally. Oh, okay. Because okay. I'm so long. Uh-huh. <laughs> I break that way anyway. And it does allow me to be a little more quad dominant off the floor. Yeah, it feels like a leg press. Almost, Just pushing right? like the, an adductor yeah. bias leg press. Kind of. mm-hmm. The problem is you got to be fast off the floor because when your pelvis is tucked and you go to lock it out, it's like all you have no more lumbar. So or right. you have no more glutes and hamstrings, so it's right. all lower lumbar at the very top. So you better be quick off the ground right. if you're going right. to use that approach, especially when you Yeah, I haven't really done it heavy. I was doing it light, but I noticed even doing it light, I felt more explosive, like you're talking about, because I could just use my legs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm. that's how I deadlift. For me, it is then, like, I will never fail off the floor. It's yeah. Just, and I have big quads, so it's like I hit the quads, but I'm like trying to lock it out and I'm scraping along my quads when it's really heavy, that gets hard. Um, but it's, uh, that's how we're going to pull for this competition is just pop it off the floor and send it, try and lock it out. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, and as you, as you know, at the end of the competition, you're like, well, I don't know what the fuck's really going to be there anyways. So we'll find out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you're also like, I don't have to do anything else. So. Right. YOLO. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Did you feel in your competition, like because of your wrestling background, like it didn't really phase you that much? It's definitely not nearly as nerve wracking as wrestling. But um, even like fatigue wise, as you went through it, did you notice oh, the lifts fatiguing you really at all? Because when I did mine, as long as I stayed with the nutrients along the whole day, like I felt completely fine. I wasn't even really sore the next day. No, I was, I was a little tired from a CNS perspective, but it wasn't, uh, wasn't awful. Um, I was, uh, wasn't too sore either. It wasn't, it was more CNS fatigue than soreness. Um, but yeah, probably the, just being in good overall condition makes it so you can, you can power through the meat. Um, yeah, I, not overly taxing. And, and then also because the wrestling background wasn't overly nerve wracking either. It's fun. like powerlifting. Right. I was, what I was shocked about is how fun it is to compete. Like everyone's right. cheering for each other. It's a camaraderie. Um, it's not like wrestling. You are not really friends with your competitors. Wrestling. <laughs> no, the parents are getting in fights. Hey buddy, let's be like friends. And then we got to yeah. roll each other on this mat. Yeah. I don't think that works that way. Yeah. If you try. Yeah. That doesn't go over so well in wrestling. You don't, you're not like you're not like uh, buddy buddy at weigh-ins, um, <laughs> but in powerlifting, everyone was like super cool. You really don't you? It's you versus you. So 
Um, I was wondering that. Like, if people are competing in your same group, I was just kind of... I don't know the dynamic because I've never competed, but, like, I didn't know if, like, subtly people were, like, cheering for you and then all off to the side, they turn around and be like, fuck that guy. Like, screw that guy. He did more than me. I, I mean, I would think if it's, like, Dan Bell and John Hack competing for the first overall right. of the meet, right. like, they're probably, like, a little bit, you know, competitive and maybe a little chippy. But at the end of the day... There's levels to everyone's it. Everyone's pretty much just friends. Yeah, there's yeah. levels. Yeah, and it's so... It really is like how you're just trying to compete the best you can. And yeah, I could see where if it's really close with someone, maybe you're like secretly rooting against them. But um, especially if there's money on the line, which like there is, it's the the bigger open meets. But uh, I, I definitely didn't feel that way. My competition didn't feel like anyone was that way towards me, even with the guys in my weight class. Even the, the one guy who was in my weight class last time was like s- still talk to him as a buddy because we competed against each other. That's cool. Yeah. Now I could only imagine with Miller's coaching, what does that peak feel like on competition day? You just feel like fucking Superman. Yeah. But you do not feel like Superman until then. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm getting to the point where I'm about to start my peaking phase. And I like after that incident this morning, my body is like every weird shit sore that I'm not used to being sore. And like all the extra hypertrophy stuff I've been doing is like starting to catch up with me. And I'm like, oh yeah, this peaking phase is almost needed. When do you compete? Uh, November 18th. November 18th. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a month out. So I'm like, you're right in the midst of it. Yeah. I'm in the midst of peaking. There is no more deloads. Um, I do you definitely... taper before you go into the competition? With yeah. But it's just the last week. You right. basically go heavier and heavier and heavier until a week out, and then you chill out for a week. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm hitting the point of training where it's starting to starting to hurt, like, and you uh, start to question: Is this really fun? But, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, and you also get to the point where you're like, I gotta hit my top singles, and I gotta like do them clean because it's important for my progression so you start to have like real pressure for your training sessions which um it's also fun and you have to just be grateful that you get to do that um try try and take that approach but it is it starts getting tense now this uh what what do you think has been one of the most beneficial changes to this preparation over your first one um i think just being better, being a better power lifter. And I mean that in understanding that I need to like kind of own the weights. You can't try and bully the weight always. You got to kind of own the weight and do it really clean and um, be perfect technically before trying to progress or pushing to progress. So having, it's being a little more patient and sometimes understanding that um, I got to like, tame the wrestler mindset a little bit of like a thousand percent all the time. Right. Um, that's probably helped me, uh, more during this prep and, um, not beating myself up when I don't have the best training day. Cause it, it does right. happen. Like right. you'll go in and I think you saw one of my training sessions at gym five. I just had a high squat. Don't know why that day I just didn't have it and wasn't feeling depth. Right but just understand that it's part of the process and move on right. to the next one. 
Right. So you feel like you went from more of that bro type lifting to now you're becoming more of a technician, especially with the big three movements. For sure. Yeah. And I would, I think I was, a. it was, um, I don't know if it was bro type lifting, but it was, uh, so I was doing pretty like, uh, had really good college strength coaches and it was technical things, but it was like, um, I, and I it was a thousand percent all the time. Like that's how I figured that's how I had learned to progress in wrestling in uh, adding mass, but powerlifting, you have to, yeah, you have to be a little bit more uh, conscious and also just as I get older. Right. The longevity yeah. aspect of it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And I, so I think you're right. It's just becoming more of a technician. Well, it's like, you, you know, Alex Kelly, like I try to get that in his head all the time. I'm like, bro, you're so gifted that we, if we get you to get the, the technical aspect of it, holy shit. Like he's finally learned how to like wedge on his deadlift and he yanked 565 off the ground the other day. He's like, it didn't feel like anything. I'm like, yeah. well, I'm really glad you've learned how to wedge and you got those it. giant fucking quads. Yeah, we like, got it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. He's a freak. Um, yeah, that's, that is. To be elite at strength sports, I think you have to have that understanding. Um, whereas with wrestling or football, you can probably be just more like channeled aggression. But um, do you find that you, you still have to have that aggression on the platform? Hmm, that's a good question. I'm not sure it helps me with powerlifting. Really? Okay. I think uh, for me, it's more, um, I perform better if I really think about like, being technical rather than being aggressive. So if I go and be aggressive, I'm not going to squat to that. I'm going to lift my butt off on bench. Yeah, that's kind of uh, that's my default. So I, I do. I think in for powerlifting, it's better for me to remain calm and focused and technical. I wish, I wish I'll I move the that. weight. I'm strong enough. You know, it'll go. I don't need to get all crazy and hyped up. Yeah, I wish I could say the same. <laughs> yeah, you got to go crazy mode. Well, internally, yeah, yeah. Because I'm the person in the rack or on the platform is not the per the person everyone interacts with. It's not the same thing. Like, yeah. Have you uh have you lifted heavy enough to the point where you get the tunnel vision, Max? Oh have yeah. You? Well, the whole <laughs> last that, yeah. <laughs> the whole last like uh, competition, I like hardly remember any of my attempts. It was like you're like complete tunnel vision. Yeah, I could I could kind of relate to some of that for sure. Like you get on there and like you're just like, all right, here's the ritual and this is what we got to do. And that's why I yep. think the ritual portion of it is so important, right? I don't know if did you have a similar thing when you got on the mat for wrestling where you would have like a specific ritual before you got into that place that you needed to be? Yeah, yeah, I've had a very specific warm up, a uh, very specific way I did things to get ready for a wrestling match. Um, wrestling was the same similar thing. I didn't do as well um when i wrestled like with emotion just had to be cool calm and collected and that's how i performed really well yeah um, i find it's like a controlled rage that i have to have like i yeah. can't just spaz out but there's got to be something there because the like i think especially that people don't understand what lifting is the intent to move quickly has to be there otherwise that fucking weight is not going anywhere yeah that's true you have to go as hard as you can um 
I, but for me, it's like, I got to focus on like a couple really simple cues and then just try and move it as hard as I can. But if I don't think about those couple simple cues, I'm not going to. Right. Like you're so good at just going balls to the wall that you got to have like some barriers to keep you on the track. So when you're the dragster going down the strip, it's like, so like in top fuel racing, for example, those fucking 8,000 horsepower things, you can't look at anything else, but the end of the track, otherwise you'll wreck. Yeah, that's kind of like what you got to do. You got to think about the technique so much because you have so much fucking explosiveness and power that if you don't, and because you being the high level athlete you are, your body will figure out how to get that shit done no matter what. Like, nope, that's we're not exactly failing this right. today. This ain't happening. That's and, it. And that's probably I'm, I'm. You've dealt with a couple like minor injuries, and I think that's probably where it comes from, right? Is like you're just able to do that, and you go, "Oh fuck, what I do?" Yep, exactly. Like, um, I did it for bench. Yeah. I've like, I've had a couple pec strains and it's because I'll try and just muscle it and, uh, flare my elbows too much. Um, so like <laughs> Miller told me, he's like, you gotta be the fucking Michael Jordan keeping your elbows in and bringing your chest to the bar. Right. <laughs> and then, so that's like, that's what I think about when I bench. When you bench, have you always rode it to your chest or were you naturally strong enough to where you could like kind of like gravity take it down and then you would just push it back up? Because that's how most people bench, I think. And I don't think yeah, they realize it's a tooth to, thing. I used to just like drop it to my chest. And, but then after the first pec strain, that changed. So now <laughs> I'll, I really take it to my chest. And I'm not yeah, only yeah. taking the bar to my chest, I'm taking my chest to the bar. Oh, I like that idea. Like a two multi-directional yeah. sure yeah to really keep that thoracic extension and leverage those costal pecs even more right yeah which that's one of the reasons i'm so good at benching is i have really good thoracic mobility so yeah that's that plays a huge part right people think it's a yeah. lumbar and yeah. they're like oh i need to arch my i'm like no you just need to move your thoracic spine short yeah short yep. the distance yeah exactly yeah shorten the distance and get the leverage out of this the strong part of the pec mm-hmm. um it is, uh, it's funny, like you'll post, I'll post a, which I don't, I'm not super active on social media, but I'll post a video on social of me benching and people are like, oh my God, you're going to hurt yourself. Look at your arch. Like you don't know anything. <laughs> Dude, there's a girl that I follow. She's got like 50,000 followers. And I think, I don't know what weight class she competes in, but she's in New Mexico and literally crushes every other chick and always wins best lifter. And she's got a pretty ridiculous arch, but like she benches 225 for reps. At like 150 or 160 or something that's crazy and people will post the most ridiculous shit on her videos and she'll repost it in her stories and i'm just like these people are so fucking dumb like yeah she's winning all the time so clearly it's that's not against the rules and like that's would i recommend pissed. everybody do it no probably not but you know yeah. well now you have to i don't think it's uspa yet but usa you have to have the shoulder elbow get even with like the shoulder for depth I think that's the IPF did that. IPF? Yeah, so, so Powerlifting America. Yeah, and then USPA goes to IPF too, right? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's just Powerlifting just America. Because America. it used so to be USAPL, the and then they, they disjointed they, because the IPF will not test local meets because they're using right. water compliance, and it's too expensive. And USAPL <laughs> is so self-righteous that they wanted to make sure local meets were tested. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so they happened. didn't... Oh, no, then the IPF so... created Powerlifting America. So that's like Got where Jesus competes mm-hmm. and stuff. Oh, because then you that can makes qualify sense. for IPF Worlds. Correct. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's what happened there. I don't I, I don't know. I liked the WRPF. That was cool. 
You like the USA, yeah. USPA? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really have an allegiance. I just like, uh, I just looked for a good, tested organization that fit with my schedule. Sure. Yeah, and in Colorado, we get so screwed. You have to go out of state, huh? Yeah, there's very few meets in Colorado. There was a USAPL one in like November. The USAPL is kind of the, the it's a good, it's from a tested perspective, it's definitely kind of the pinnacle in the US. But um, the meets are just a little more like. I don't know, man. Things. I think you would go clean the floor with everybody at a USAPL meet. I don't even think it'd be fucking close. So I think competition wise, USPA's probably got the better competition, especially yeah. tested. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I have to. I have to look at um, like open powerlifting and see where the more competitive totals are. I think maybe traditionally USAPL had more. Yeah, it it's, like it's one of the older ones for sure. Yeah. I just know. I can tell you from the local meets I've been to, you're gonna probably mop the floor with all of those people, like no problem. Yeah, we'll see. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the competition is. At this meet, the last meet I had the the highest total and the highest dots. There was one kid though at like one seventy something, or mm. yeah, maybe he was no, he's like one sixty eight. Um, that was really strong. Um, but yeah, it's fun. It's really just finding a platform, having some judges there right. to to qualify your list. How much do you think the judges change it? Because everybody goes, oh, I could do that and I could do that and it's blah, blah, blah. And then, well, hold on. There's some subjectivity here that you have to now deal with and other things, right? Yeah. I think um, the probably the biggest thing is squat and squat depth. And that's so hard to judge, especially as someone has more muscle mass in their legs. Like being able to tell where the femur is, is like, almost impossible and then the hip crease like if you have big quads the hip crease is going to look much higher or if you're an you idiot don't. like me and buy an all black singlet like, yeah I bought so the one off the little FTS that has the gray on the side in the picture and then when I got it in person it's like like if you were picking the colors out of the color wheel on fucking like excel or paint it's like one shade lighter so you can't even like you can't tell <laughs> I was like god yeah. damn it guys yeah, that's funny. Um, so I think probably squat depth and then the bench pause. I think the bench is the hardest then. fucking thing, dude. I I fucked myself so bad in my competition with mine. It is the most commands. So from that perspective, it's and the most technique, tricky. I think. Yeah. It's yeah, I agree. I th- I agree with that. I think probably if you wanted to classify the lifts, the squat is the most power. Right. How how much can you squat? And there's so many different ways to squat. Like you can right. find a way to squat that fits your body. Bench is the most technical, and it has the most commands. And then the deadlift is the most. How good are your leverages? Yeah, I think that um, plays a big one. And then like, what? How good is your endurance? Right, because it's always the last thing. So how much yep. you have left in the gas tank by that time? Yep. Exactly. And I think that's where the like sport part of it comes in. Right, is like being able to pick those attempts and like. You're, you have Miller. Miller comes with you when you compete, right? Yeah, if he and can. I, but Nathan, you need to come be enough. my handler. I need to come be your yeah. handler? Okay, you can train me. I need me. a handler. You can train fucking, me. This is nonsense. Easy. Like, I'm Got sitting it. there trying to guesstimate what I need to be doing when, like, because I've done it for people, and it's way easier having that extra eye, set of eyes going, like, yeah, you can do this. Yeah. Fly me out there. I'm in. I'll think about it. Well, I'm, it's done. You just you already offered. It's over. You, well, but, I got to 
get you a plane ticket. So let me think about it. How much a plane ticket <laughs> I'll is. drive if I have to, if you'll pay for my gas. Otherwise I'll do it. Possibly. This is something we can negotiate. I mean, it's the week before Thanksgiving. So I don't care. You know. I don't, I don't know. You got a family now. And the stuff. week before Thanksgiving, why would that affect anything? Come on. I now. don't fucking know what people do, bro. I, I don't even remember what day it is. I'll send you my handling I've fee. Out of the matrix. I'll okay? send you my handling fee. Okay. You know, <laughs> the handler fee oh, the, having nice. good handlers that's a, it is important um because the and miller is like a genius when it comes to weight selection i can only imagine like that's got to be fucking like just having like the best coach well yeah it makes sense didn't he yeah. win an award for like best powerlifting coach in asia or some shit yeah i was like last year that's incredible yeah, last or like a year and a half ago i know he's um he like is, there's he's awesome. So many he's, more fucking people there, and he's the best one out of all of them to coach all those people. Like, damn. Yeah, he's awesome. He is the uh, he's like the coach behind all the coaches that no one knows about that is like total G. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. He's like, you got to like know somebody to know that guy. I'm yeah. I got fucking stupid lucky because he walked into the gym I worked at, and I just kept talking to him. <laughs> like that was the biggest yeah. fucking dumb luck I've ever had in my life. Yeah, but he probably he likes being that guy, so he's probably doesn't even want us talking about it on the no, podcast. No, that that was funny. Like I saw him at the gym. He's like, "Hey, I love your podcast, but I'm never going to be on it." <laughs> oh, <laughs> come on, cool. Adam. Come on. <laughs> okay. I yeah. totally can see it though. He just likes being a coach. That's why he's so good yep. at it. Right. Yep. That's what he wants to do. No, yeah. He is. He's incredible. The amount of effort he puts into his athletes is. Second to them, I would agree wholeheartedly with that. I still have yet to do the check-in videos like him. I'm like, where do you find the time, sir? I don't know how he does it. I'm like, how many people do you coach like this? He's like sixty. I'm like, my out, my video was like forty-five minutes long. Oh my god! <laughs> You're doing this sixty times. God, like, this doesn't even make sense. That's Could you imagine his life there, the days that he's doing that? Week. Probably just thinks he's fucking crazy, like back in the office making videos with the whiteboard. He's essentially just talking yeah. to himself. Yeah, God bless. <clears throat> well, and Nathan, you've never had the pleasure of talking to this gentleman, but like you will ask him one question about something and he will go down like the craziest tangent, but all of it adds up at the end and you're like, holy shit. Wow. Like, wow. That was amazing. And it's a- like you get like a mini master class on whatever it is you ask him. Like, I always felt so bad at the gym because I'd ask him, like, right when he got there, or, like, he's warming up or something, ask him a question, and then 30 minutes later, he's done answering it for me. And I'm like, Jesus, dude, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take up that much of your time. <laughs> oh, my Lord. The first time I met Miller was um, Cooper set up a consult, and I walked into gym five. He stood up, and he started assessing me like someone would look at, like, a racehorse. He was, like, yes. picking up my arm. I was there for that. <laughs> I'm like, this is a great. He's like, oh yeah, yep, good venture. Mm, deadlift hard, deadlift hard. Oh yeah, you can squat. Like this was out without him watching me do anything, just by looking at me. Wow, it was incredible. Yeah, listening <laughs> to awesome. about that. That shit was funny. Listening to him on N one, I could kind of get that feeling. And I, like you said, it's probably definitely not even close to the full effect. But just listening to him talk about the things he does on there, it's like that's impressive, dude. Oh, that's him toned down. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's like him controlling himself. And it's still impressive. It's like, man. Yeah. Good is an, it's an awesome resource. I think it helps uh, 
it's it's such a good framework it's just for bodybuilding max what are you talking about no yeah that's what miller is a power lifter first i know that's what um it's funny because that i think uh there's so much debate around this in like athletic performance really if you have more muscle tissue you're gonna be stronger which means you're likely gonna be a better athlete and there are just certain ways to build more muscle tissue that are more effective than other ways. So everyone, like when I was in college, they'd be like, you're training like a bodybuilder. I was like, no, I'm training to be a heavyweight. And this is just how I get there. <laughs> I'm not training like a bodybuilder. I'm training to be a heavyweight wrestler. Well, and if there's someone like you, like, it seems like you probably naturally have a little bit more explosiveness and things like that. Well, you're going to get away with not having to train all the dynamic stuff all the time because if you're naturally gifted that way, it's not going to matter as much. So yeah. if the low-hanging fruit is that you don't have enough muscle tissue because you need to be in a bigger weight class, I think you're doing just fine. Yeah, well, like I never – we te I, we tested at the end of my senior season. I never trained for a 40. I ran a 471. I'd never done any sort of jump training, just squatted. I had a 39 inch vertical. Like I just, you get strong, you're going to be explosive. You and Ed train with yeah. that intent. I fucking asked Ed the same thing, or someone asked him that. And he's like, no, just try to move the weight fast all the time. I'm like, of course, Ed. It's like the most simple thing for you and, you know, Max over here. He's like, yeah, just thousand percent. No big deal. Right? Um, just go. Yeah. Just go. Well, so what I think most people lack, and I think what athletes are really good about is, that switch turning it on and getting to that maximal effort right like maximal effort for people they have no idea what it even feels like most of the time like well here's a good example i had my nephew pushing the sled the other day and he's 77 pounds so i'm like oh, we'll see what he maxes out on in a 10 foot push so i load it to like put 200 pounds on kind of hard I'm like oh fuck it didn't look that hard so i put 250 on i mean it's kind of hard i put 300 on now he's getting to a point where he like has to try right like he starts to push it and it doesn't want to go and then all of a sudden i see him grit down and fucking like nail that thing because it was with the shoulder pads and it just starts moving i'm like oh that's where we needed to go when we got up to like 375 pounds is what he pushed for 10 feet at a whopping 77 pounds i'm telling him i'm like dude if you can take that same intensity that you're pushing the sled at 370 pounds and put that on the kids that you're wrestling you're going to demolish those kids like that yeah. type of pressure is going to be like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> I do think um, it's actually one of the, I learned a lot from weight training, lifting weights for wrestling, because it is so controlled. You can push to that point and then you can learn what it feels like. Um, I thought I trained hard. And then I, there's a guy is also one of the best coaches in the U S who I've, I've had a really lucky getting to work with amazing coaches, a guy named Alan Watkins. Out of Armbrus Pro Gym. It's mostly known for bodybuilding, but he wrestled in Division One. He's the one who helped me go from 197 to heavyweight and put on good mass. He's um Alan's coaching Jeremy Bundia for his comeback to win his fifth Olympia men's physique title this year. Um, but I I went into Armbrust. My dad's like, You're gonna train with this really, really famous trainer. And I was looking around, I was like, Where is this guy? It's like five foot five. Looks like Yoda. He has a glass eye, like wonky eye, cauliflower ear. I'm like, this is the guy. But he put me through a workout. This was between my sophomore, freshman and sophomore year of college. And I've never felt pain. Or at that point, I'd never felt pain like that training. 
And I was like, oh, that's what failed. That's what hard training feels like. Oh. It was this revelation. And then from then on, you know, now you know. Now you know right. what that feels like. That That is that true pain. Yeah. You know, yeah, like that's, that's failure. And then you can, one. okay, I can do that in wrestling. Yeah. And now I know what that feels like. You can get there. You, you don't know what a 10 is until you know what a 10 is. That's what I tell people. Like, you'll know when you hit a 10. I promise. <laughs> yeah. You, Nathan didn't know, and then he came out. And like, I didn't, I mean, I had a pretty good idea because I was fucking retarded. Like I'm the idiot that will just YOLO the shit no matter what. And I grew up the youngest brother. So I got my ass beat all the time. So quitting was never an option. Like that was not the thing that I could ever do. So like grinding it out and trying is easy. Like going to N1 and having Kaz and Miller just fucking cripple you. It's like, Jesus Christ, guys. Like, and that's four days of that, that you do when you go to their fucking thing. Like literally the first leg day I went and jumped almost fell on the ground face first because <laughs> my legs didn't want to fucking work. And that's not yeah. even a big day. Ugh. Yep. That's, that's it. So you got to learn the 10, which yeah. most people don't no. know. Most people don't no, I watched come Miller close. I put you through a fucking sissy squat thing that I just go, I think most people would die. That was terrible. Dude, that looked horrible. So That's another one. A real sissy squat is... Oh, very, very difficult. So, Nate, think about supersetting the hack squat that we have with then holding on to one of the horns and doing good old Platt style sissy squats. No shot. Without I any fucking like assistance. I would have melted. I would have melted. Yeah, I would have melted. Like, man, this guy yeah, just takes it to another level. The hack squat, sissy squat style. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh? So, my feet were low and together. I was coming up on the, off my heels. So, it was like a hack spot sissy squat into a Body traditional sissy that just... squat. Yep. <laughs> that yeah, sounds miserable. <laughs> good drop set, huh? Ugh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Did, did strong quads though that way. So Oof. what's it like being a gym owner, Max? Because we didn't even talk about that part. Like you own the coolest gym in the fucking mountains that I don't even know if most people even know exists. But no, that place is fucking kind of awesome. under the radar. Yeah, it is really cool. Well, I, my wife and I moved up to the mountains from the front range, uh, like early mid 2021 and decided there's no real hardcore training facility up in the Bale Valley where we are. So, um, let's create one. Um, so we put together. The plans for a, a small gym. It's only about 3,000 square feet and, um, really made it a hardcore. It's like powerlifting slash bodybuilding. We only have three pieces of cardio equipment. They're good ones. We have a stairmaster, we have a salt bike, and we have an erg. Don't even have a treadmill. Just go walk outside. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's mountains to climb, folks. Yeah. Get together. <laughs> it's beautiful up here. Go outside. Get out there. Um, so yeah, we, we put it together and, and, kind of took this like semi-private gym approach where we have 40 memberships we capped it at 40 members pay a little bit more per month for the private type feel you know if there's four people in here it's busy and that's basically enough for us to break even and make a little bit but it kind of runs itself it's 24 7 access you know we'll do day passes but you gotta just sign up online and you can open the, the door on your phone and Really, it's a way for us to have an awesome place to train and then have an awesome community to be a part of up here. And uh, the business kind of takes care of itself. 
So it's a super cool scenario. It's mountain barbell. It may be the next location for a seminar. No, for shadow. Yeah. I've got to talk about that, but I think that would be fucking sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be, it'd be a really cool place for summer. It's a cool gym. It's like all black walls, cool murals. We got it's all... definitely got a great fucking feel to it and a good culture. So kudos yeah. to you, sir. You, you killed it on both of those things. I think there are majority of gym owners that sell out for the easy way and they go just take the money and they don't create the culture because it's too hard. Yeah, exactly. We, um, yeah, that was important to us is create a, a cool culture and a cool place to train. Like what, what is our ideal training, um, facility look like it's designed, you know, like the field of dreams, it's like build it and they will come. That was essentially our, our build it no, how we would great. want it. And then the members come and you know, because it is a little more expensive and there isn't much part, all our members are really into training and really appreciate the facility. So. Yeah, that's really nice. That's that's gonna be my move. Except for I'm gonna go like ten memberships and only people that I really like can come train. <laughs> or I'm just gonna go straight Louie and just fucking wreck everybody that comes through the door and you don't have to pay a thing, but you gotta deal with me being an asshole. So have fun with that. <laughs> so, haven't that's really a good decided. Approach too. I mean, it worked for him. It, it is funny though, everyone says like that guy would have fucking told you whatever you wanted to know. Like, I'll give you information, that's fine. Yeah. But, he, he's a legend. I'm sure was, you guys got some good uh, Louis stories from Cooper. Uh, yeah, yeah. Got a few. And I yeah. ran into some other people that have some other good ones. Like, it's fascinating. He is pretty consistent, though. That guy just wanted to fucking make freaks. That was it. Yep. Hmm. That's it. Um, outside of Miller, who do you think the best uh, coaches and yourselves who are the best like coaches strength the... and conditioning or powerlifting specific both well i think bird is definitely one of brandon birds one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the country i think that guy makes freak athletes so he trained saquon and he's actually in the lehigh valley ironically enough but he was saquon's yep. trainer in when he was in high school and then he's got this kid marquez wimbley who he says is outperforming everything saquon did when at the same age which is That's just very Fucking, that's insane. Yeah. And then, um, like Mark Deppin in New Jersey, that guy makes freaks. Um, I don't know, dude. There's so many good ones, but like Miller, I think, is just on a different fucking level. He is like the, like the way he looks at things. And like, I can see it when you ask him questions because the wheels start turning. Right. So, like, another example of who I think is like Miller is like Dave Hoff. Dave Hoff's not a coach, but the way Hoff thinks about lifting and the way he gets like, into it and knows so much about it i'm like oh that's that's a different level like that's just it doesn't make any sense to me yeah not yet one day it might well that's what we're working towards right something like that yeah how about you nathan who do you think i mean you took most of my answers right there the only one i would add to that is like jared bidney down in down in georgia yeah i don't follow jared i should probably do that yeah he makes some pretty freaky people ray's good too ray's really good Ray is really good at making awesome humans and just happens to turn them into freaks. Yeah, Ray's pretty fantastic. If you're a youth coach and you want to follow a guy that does some really awesome stuff and builds culture as well, he's definitely up there. There's so weird that we didn't say anybody that works for like a pro team or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I don't know any of those people. So Yeah, that's the problem. I don't know any of those people. I don't think they get utilized either. So I was talking to a friend about that. I just don't think if you're in the like professional realm, I think your services are pretty limited to 
rookies that have to go through your protocol and then like maybe a side hustle gig. I don't know, but there's not a lot of pro coaches that get a good rep anymore or get talked about a whole lot. So there's a lot of injuries in, in professional sports, which I understand it's an elite level, but it's a lot of injuries in professional sports right now. And then like, I forgot on the combat sports side, Phil Drew does a really good job with the MMA guys. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't found, <clears throat> I just asked you about the guy that Nathan showed me from Ohio state. That's the strength and conditioning coach for those wrestlers. I haven't found many coaches that specialize in wrestling. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I do think um, if you're a good strength coach, just in general, you're going to be, you can, you can coach it for any sport. It might be good to have, understand some nuance, but um Really Wait, you don't have you to play the sport to coach stuff. them to get stronger for it? <laughs> yeah, Not exactly. Yep. Go, go and watch I also, it. I mean, a lot of times, I think you can get in, uh, especially on the, the sports side of things, you can get stuck in the cycle of being too sport specific. So you, you're, you're almost like, really, let's face it. If you want to get strong for wrestling and just wrestling, you should just wrestle and wrestle more. But if you want to add muscle tissue that then you can turn into, then you should probably, you should lift weights and you should train to get stronger. So then you can go turn it into wrestling specific strength. But if you're trying to like emulate wrestling too much in your strength training sessions, you end up just taxing the energy, same energy yeah. systems too many times. You're going to increase your, your risk of injury. You're not going to get much out of your training. I've been there. I've had, um, when I was in college wrestling, we had the one strength coach who was like that, like everything has to be functional and very specific. And I just felt like crap. And then I had a strength coach. Um, he's the, currently the strength coach of Leo wrestling. Awesome. Eric Marcosi was like, no, we're going to lift weights when you lift weights and, you know, we'll keep you healthy and you know, make sure we do mobility and, st- you know, stability, but we're also, just, we're going to lift weights. Yeah. And then when you wrestle, you're going to wrestle. What do you think are the things that you get on the wrestling mat that, you or I'm sorry. What 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 do you get in the uh, training room or in the actual strength and conditioning environment that you don't get on the wrestling mat or vice versa? What's lacking from one to the other that that you don't no- normally see or get? So I think with wrestling, it's probably this way with most sports outside of like powerlifting. Is when you're in the weight room, it's very it is controlled. You know, it's moving this from here to here. The risk of injury is relatively low. There's less factor you know there's not another human being moving against you um so you can you can control the inputs and the outcomes a lot greater than you can in the wrestling room that being said you need to be able to be strong when you're wrestling and have that wrestling type strength but if you're trying to add muscle tissue by emulating wrestling and like let's say like throwing sandbags around you're not you're not going to have muscle tissue. You're not going to move up to the next weight class. You're not going to get stronger. Um, you're just going to be taxing the same energy system yeah. that you're doing when you're wrestling and doing a. You're probably going to be doing an exercise that's secondary or really probably the fourth or fifth best option for for adding muscle tissue or getting stronger yeah. or you know strengthening that specific muscle group. I I see wrestling as having to be strong generally in a lot of different capacities because of all the different positions you get put in all the stinking time you're never in just some like static normal position i feel like you're always put in some weird position that you have to get out of and you have to be strong in at some weird range of mobility or in range of anything like it's just there's so many variables in wrestling you have to be strong in so many different capacities i feel like yep yes exactly 
So don't get caught in the wormhole of trying to like come up with exercises that yeah. make you strong in those weird positions. Right. Just get strong, train, lift weights the correct way, go through full range of motion, you know, train the right way, but train like lift weights. Yeah. Do your dumbbell bench press, do your squats, do your leg extensions, and then wrestle. Yes. And turn yeah. that strength into wrestling strength. Yeah. And, and I would agree. Think I think wrestling is out of all the college sports, it's probably the most strength based sport there is more than football. I agree. Right. I a thousand percent agree. I do think there's a system to train all the weird positions though, Nathan. No, that no, there's something for that. No. What is it? I don't know. That's what <laughs> oh, I hear. Don't t- <laughs> Rumors. Rumors that there's a system that jujitsu players people. created that don't. helps you with end range strength. Shh, is that cars and, just the frc stuff just yeah. frc yeah. in general yeah yeah well do the mobilities do the stuff yeah. but even that that's not like you're not recreating a wrestling position right you're no. just training and range right right just want them to be strong in that position because you know what's going to happen on the mat yeah mostly yeah. what i was getting at is if you can hit the end ranges and then you can target the muscles which is all the mid-range well it kind of just gives you access to have more control and ability to do more things in any position yeah yeah Right? Instead of having to get super specific. Yeah. And if you, I mean, like if you're doing your mobility work, you're training really hard and like, and you're wrestling. So you're lifting really hard and doing your mobility work and you're wrestling. You're going to be strong in a lot of positions. Absolutely. Do you see strong as shit? I would think. Do you see a lot of wrestlers or you yourself? Were you pretty jacked up after you get on the mat? Like you talked about your lower lumbar a lot. I see wrestlers that come to me that their mobility already at a young age is just like, they're just crumpled up all the time. I feel like they're always very, yeah. very shortened positions. So they're always their mobility is usually pretty lacking when you assess them, and you're like, "Oh yeah, boy." <laughs> I think it's just yeah, it is a very hard sport on the body. I think yeah. um, it is. It's not the number one for head injuries, but for orthopedic per capita for orthopedic surgeries for NCAA sports, it's number one. So it's just yeah, I think wrestlers get really beat up. So it is important to take care of yourself and do that work, but do it the right way. Right. Yeah. Don't try. Like what I see is like, Oh, you're, you're training for wrestling. You should be doing tire flips and using sledgehammers and throwing sandbags around. Like now you should just train to be strong and do the most effective things at like getting strong, do your mobility work and wrestle. Yeah. That's good. Do you think the part of the culture in the wrestling where it's like, Oh, you know, like going out on your shield type of thing. Do you think that contributes to overtraining on accident though? Because people want to just fucking push, push, push. And the idea of pulling back is like looked at as weak or it's not going to work or you're going to lose skill or things like that. 100%. Although I would say at the elite level, that's shifting. Um, Is it? Yeah. That's good. I mean, even my, my senior year, I, um, we made adjustments with my coach at Lehigh, Coach Santoro, where I was wrestling live, like actual hard wrestling, once or twice a week. Wow. I would lift hard, and I would work on technique. That was it. That needs and to trickle. Was, yeah, and it's. I think it's starting to, but Good. yeah, it's not Good. great at the... It's actually, it's at the elite levels. It's, it's starting to get really good. Yeah. Um, I think most of the top college programs have a good understanding of... The, the importance of recovery good and how Go to, to periodize training now. well yeah. i i just know that i always have kids that'll come to me after wrestling practice and they're like we went hard like I don't know what they call them, but it's just like you go hard for this amount of time and then they cycle another guy in and you go and wrestle that guy in and then they cycle another guy in and you just go hard and you're just 
literally wrestling for like 45 minutes on a mat. And then they come to me and they're like, I'm ready to train. And I'm like, no, you're probably just ready to go home and sleep because you look dead. <laughs> so it's just, they seem like they get beat up a lot at practice. So I hope that is the, I hope that is the trickling down effect. That's going to change over time here in the next few years, hopefully. Yeah, I, and it should. I think ultimately it will because that's what where you have the most success and elite athletics always kind of is slow, but it will end up where people have the most success. And that's why it happened on the Division One level is you had a few coaches who really understood that well and started to have a lot of success. And then everyone else is like, what are they doing? Oh, I need to start letting my athletes recover a little bit more maybe wrestle a little bit less live, um, maybe periodize the training a little bit, understand, you know, how intensity works, how the nervous system recovers, how your musculature recovers. Right. Start applying those um, kind of more science-based training to wrestling, and it's starting to happen. Yeah. So. More is not better. Better is better. We've I, said I that. Wish people would understand that. Better I deal is with better. grapplers or BJJ players, and they do the same thing. and It's because they love rolling. Like, do wrestlers do that? Do they love fucking wrestling where they just want to be on the mat all the time? Or is See, that just... I think there's a big difference between grapplers and wrestling because wrestling, right. and I've done all, I've done judo, I've done jiu-jitsu, and I've wrestled, and wrestling hurts the worst by yeah, far. Figured. Yeah, That's why I was wondering, like, you guys don't so, run into the issue. Like, you guys are being pushed by somebody to work that hard. You're not doing it because you're fucking obsessed and addicted. Yeah. yeah, you hit the nail First, there. It's, that's what it sounds like with all my kids. That's exactly what it sounds like right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so when I do with the BJJ players, they're just fucking addicts. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I've gotten, I, I got a new can... one this month, and I go, so how much do you roll? I'm like, or how much do you train? I'm like, are you one of those people that's like 20 plus hours a week? She's like, uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> Jeez. I think you can get away with it a little more in jiu-jitsu because it is slower and it's mat-based. Well, but they don't strength train, but... bro, so they can't really, you know, like. They probably would be, it would probably they do better to have a little less total time and a little more strength training, a little more intensity in there. Uh, have you ever seen the clip from Joe Rogan where I can't, I don't even know who is on this podcast, but they're talking about why wrestlers make such good MMA fighters. And the guy's like, well, cause wrestlers go in and they go like hard. It sucks. And wrestling practice sucks. And jiu-jitsu, you like roll for five minutes you smoke some weed, you roll for five more minutes. <laughs> that would never happen for wrestling practice. Right. Right. You, mm-hmm. you you quit on the wrestling practice. You're the pussy of the practice, and everyone just makes fun of you. Yeah, like, good there luck it with is. Yeah, yeah, it's not laid back at all. It sucks. No. Yeah, but um, I'm actually with uh, a, another uh, two Colorado wrestlers. One Ryan Deacon, he was a national champion for Northwestern, absolute animal. And Robert Gambrell, who was a Division Two All American, would have been a Division Two national champion, but COVID canceled his senior year. Mm. Oh, that sucks. But we're three of the kind of Colorado's more elite wrestlers from the last 10 years. Um, we're starting a, a platform to try and bring a little bit more of thought to this um, scientific approach to training. Awesome. Yeah. And nutrition and recovery in wrestling. It's called Iron Summit. It's just getting started. But yeah, um, yeah look up Ryan and Rob on Instagram. They're both studs. Ryan's built like a Greek God. He won the national title, not last year, but the year before. Northwestern, division one national champion is an absolute stud. 
I think that's something and, in the wrestling water. All you guys are fucking super jacked and look like statues. Bunch of freaks. They, uh, it's seven. Like it's a strength base. It is probably the most strength based sport. So it's a lot of, you get like tall, lanky guys every once in a while, but even they, they're like kind of freaks in their own right. But most wrestlers are pretty slapped together. They, well, I don't know. You come look at some of the wrestlers at the local high school. No offense. I love you all, but they don't look like Greek gods. I'm just saying they don't. Oh, yeah, maybe I'm, maybe I'm talking about a college. Yeah, they're well, not. You should, you should see Max and his friends and even Max's brother. Like, they're just all fucking yeah. freaks. Like, all of you guys, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, where'd you guys come from? The, the sport seems like, to be. Oh, we all came from wrestling rooms. The like, sport seems oh. to be vastly growing, though. Am I correct in saying that? That it's one of the more faster growing sports in the United States right now? Yeah, and I think it's because of MMA, the attention it's brought to wrestling. Everyone's like, who are, why are all these wrestlers winning all the titles? I think uh, yeah. there's been several points in the last 10 years where all weights were owned by wrestlers. Yeah, yeah. It's the best base. Bottom. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think it's the best space for several reasons. One is just the, the mental aspect, kind of what we were talking about. It's probably the biggest reason. And two is wrestling is so about controlling your opponent on the mat. And like you trying to stand up, I'm holding you down. Um, that's folk style wrestling specifically. And I think that skill makes a good fighter. Because sure. most fights are won on the mat. So the yeah. thing I've seen with the wrestlers that they that gets dangerous is when they realize they have knockout power and how much easier it is to knock someone out than wrestle them. And then they try to just knock people out. And it's like, eh, can't do that either. But I understand the allure. Like, I get it. Yeah. Like, fucking strong <laughs> as shit. And you're like, oh, I'm done in 30 seconds. Sweet. Let's get this out of the way. Yeah. Then yeah. they get no, wrestlers sometimes. who make, make great MMA. Yeah. Wow. Best. Yeah. All right. Should we call that a day, gentlemen? Yeah, that's it. I've got to get down to the gym. Thanks, Max. But Max, thank you so yeah. much for your time, man. I Thanks, we, guys. That's awesome, I'll have to dude. Bring you back after a while and see how the powerlifting meet goes and all that yeah, good jazz. For sure. Sounds good. Um all right. cool. All right. If you guys want to go follow him, go check him out on Instagram. Um, give him the follow that he deserves. And thank you everyone if you've listened to this point. And I hope everyone has a wonderful rest of their day. Thanks, see gentlemen. See you guys. See ya.